Norman and Catherine are going to come and bring us our readings for this evening. Um, first of those is from Acts uh, 17, which tells the story of the planting of the church in Thessalonica, and then we'll go on to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. In Thessalonica, when Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue And on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post-bond, or they put them on bail and let them go. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. As a result, many of them believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. But when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, Some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. The believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. First Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 1 to 10 Paul, Silas and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ grace and peace to you we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers we remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. 
You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model for all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Thanks, uh, Norman and Catherine. Well, we live, as um, <clears throat> we know, in a world full of uh, pain and uh, disappointment, and so we all need constant encouragement. Uh, some people have a real gift of saying the right thing at the, the right time. Henry Ford once said, when everything seems to be going against you, remember that the airplane takes off against the wind, not with it. Henry van Dyke said, use what talent you possess. The woods would be very silent if no birds sang except those that sang best. Our vision is to see lives changed by Christ. And one of our mission statements, the things that we want to do in order for that vision to happen, is to encourage one another to serve joyfully and persevere in the face of trials. And the encouragement that we bring to people is not uh, those um, words that um, somehow may, may seem quite wise, but words from God's word. And one of the main themes of the first letter to the Thessalonians that we're going to be looking at over the, the coming weeks is encouragement. Encouragement in the face of persecution. Catherine read from Acts 17, which gave the account of how the church in Thessalonica was planted during Paul's second missionary journey. And um, got a map uh, just to show where he went on that. Just to recap some of the background too, if we can um, move on to, to the map. You may recall that um, Paul fell out with Barnabas and um, instead went with Silas through um, Syria and Cilicia as far as Lystra. So if you see on the map here, they, they came up to here. Um, they then looked to go into Asia, but um, the Holy Spirit prevented them. They tried to go into Bithynia, but again, the Holy Spirit prevented them. And so they ended up here at Troas. And that's where you may recall Paul had a vision of the man from Macedonia calling them over to, to help them. Uh, so they went over. They went first to, to Philippi, um, where there were some amazing conversions. of remember Lydia and uh, the slave girl and, um, and the jailer. And then from there, they carried on through Amphipolis, Apollonia, and arrived at Thessalonica. It was um, a well-established city, uh, occupied a strategic uh, trading position, and was known as the capital city of Macedonia. So the Holy Spirit was guiding Paul and his companions as to where they should go, where they should proclaim the gospel and plant churches. But that didn't mean that every place they went to would receive them well, with open arms. And indeed, the reception varied considerably from place to place. And in Thessalonica, we read, it was quite mixed. 
We're told that as Paul preached in the synagogue over the course of three Sabbaths, uh, some of the Jews were persuaded and joined him, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks, it says, and uh, quite a few prominent women and Greek men. But others, Greeks, Jews, we're told, were jealous, and they stirred up trouble and caused a riot in the city. And so Paul and Silas move on to, to Berea, where we're told the Berean Jews were of more noble character. I guess they didn't get involved in, the, in riots there. Um, and we're told they received the message with great eagerness. They couldn't get enough of it. So the new believers, though, that Paul left behind in Thessalonica faced a tough time. And that is why Paul was very concerned about them. And so he sent Timothy to find out how they were doing. And then he wrote this letter from Corinth to, to encourage them. So how does he encourage them in this letter, though? He does that by continually pointing them to the gospel. Reminding them that it's by the gospel message that they were saved. Reminding them of his concerns and prayers for them. And encouraging them to live lives worthy of the gospel reminding them of the gospel hope they have as they wait for the Lord's coming so the series that we're going to look at over the next few weeks we're going to look at it under five um, or six headings rather um, which are coming up here gospel message gospel ministry gospel encouragement gospel life gospel hope and gospel relationships but we're going to start this this evening with gospel Message. Now, there's loads we could focus on in these, just these few verses. Uh, even verses 2 and 3 would be enough to preach um, a good sermon on. But as we go into verses 4 to 10, uh, what comes out is the, the progress of the gospel message and the response of the Thessalonians to, to what they, they hear. And the first thing we see in verse 5 is that the gospel came. Then in verse 6, you welcomed the message. And finally, in verse 8, the Lord's message rang out from you. The church that Paul is writing to in verse 1 and thanking God for was able to be planted because the gospel came. So let's start with how did it actually come about? Well, the gospel message came. If you look at verses 4 and 5, the gospel message came, first of all, with words, we're told. But it came to you not simply with words. But it did come with words, which shouldn't surprise us because a message consists of words. Words are important. They're the means by which we communicate with one another. Careless choice of words can lead to confusion, misunderstanding. um, In the worst case, can even cause offence. And in the election campaign, we we heard many words, didn't we, used by political leaders trying to persuade us to, to vote for their, their party. Very careful in the words they chose. Uh, David Cameron we, was criticised for being reluctant, as you can understand, for appearing in a, uh, an interview on television with the other leaders for fear, maybe, of saying something which would uh, jeopardise his party's chances. Well, the words of the gospel message were different because they were the words of God and they were about something far more important because they were about God's salvation but the point is that the gospel message didn't come simply or only with words as, as we read here whereas a good speaker 
can rely on um, the words he uses, his, his speaking skills to persuade people. Paul and his companions here didn't rely on their speaking abilities. In fact, we're told that actually they probably weren't very good anyway. No, they relied on the power of the Spirit. Two people can hear exactly the same words, can't they? One will remain totally unaffected by them. The other one will be affected deeply. They will reach down into his or her heart and change them. I remember going to um, hear Billy Graham speak in 1984 on the, uh, the hallowed turf of Portman Road, which is Ipswich Town's football stadium, in case you're wondering. Um, thinking this must be a pretty impressive speaker. I've heard all about those crusades in the, in the 50s in the Haringey. Some of you here may even have been to, to them. But I, when I heard him, I thought, actually, he's not that impressive, really. Um, and yet many were converted. How come people were converted? Well, it was the power of the, of the Spirit. The, the Spirit was working, using the words he had to say. And that is what it goes on to say with, with um, power with the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who, first of all, prepares our hearts to receive the message. It's the Holy Spirit who helps the speaker choose the words to, to say. You know, when I'm preparing a sermon, uh, I, I pray that he will, first of all, help me understand the message, uh, help me to get across the points that he wants me to, to say that people need to hear. But even before that, I have to pray that he will touch my heart. Because unless he's touched my heart, then I can't um, use these words and touch your hearts. Which is where the next point comes in, in verse 5. With power, with the Holy Spirit, and deep conviction. Preaching is not just um, giving a talk or a, a presentation. It's not just a sharing of some thoughts and uh, some ideas. It is speaking the words of God. A preacher may not be a naturally great speaker, but if he's been moved by the Spirit, he can preach with conviction. And the conviction that Paul and his companions had as they arrived in Thessalonica, even, even as they came up against opposition, was that the gospel has power to change lives. They had the conviction that amongst those people they were among, there would be those the Lord had chosen, those the Lord uh, was preparing the hearts of. And they were convinced that they weren't wasting their time here. The Lord had brought them there for a purpose. They had the conviction that the gospel had the power to make people believe and be prepared to face the consequences of that belief, uh, however tough that may be for them personally. And they had that conviction because they themselves had experienced that power in their own lives. Their, their lives had been changed. And so this wasn't theory. This was speaking from the heart. Now, we're not just talking about preaching here. Yes, we're told in Acts, um, as we heard, that uh, Paul went to the synagogue. He, he reasoned, he explained, and he proved that the Messiah had uh, um, suffered and risen from the dead. But do you think Timothy... And Silas just remained quiet. You know, they would have been speaking as well to people around them. The question for each of us is not have we got a preaching gift, but do we have the conviction that the gospel has the power to change lives? 
when we meet with our friends, do, do we pray that our words would, uh, would change them? Before we come to church, do we pray that lives would be changed as people hear the preaching of the word? The gospel message came with words, with power, with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. So what happened? Well, they welcomed the message. And they welcomed it in the midst of severe suffering. It wasn't easy for the Thessalonians to welcome the message. Paul and his companions even had to flee the city. Uh, It didn't apparently make sense for them to risk their lives at this point. God still had much work for them to do. But as they fled, their hearts must have been torn. Um, They must have been really anxious for these new converts they were leaving behind. People whose lives from now on would be really difficult. But for those people that didn't matter because they had seen the glory of Christ. They had experienced his love. It is difficult, isn't it, for us to really appreciate what it must be like to live in a country where you are persecuted for your faith. Where you have to make the decision that my life will never be comfortable. My physical safety may always be at risk. I may be imprisoned, I may be tortured, I may lose my life because of my belief. While we were in Ethiopia, the news came through that ISIS had um, uh, released a video showing 30 Ethiopians being murdered, some by beheading, some by having a gun uh, pointed at the back of their heads. And apparently in the video, a masked militant with a gun threatens the Christians um, with death if they do not convert to, to Islam or pay the, the, the jizya, the, the tax for non-Muslims uh, with willing submission. Uh, they preferred to die. Having believed in the message of the gospel, what is it that gives somebody the ability to risk their life for Jesus? Or verse 6, have a look again at verse 6. It says, you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. The joy. And that joy comes from knowing, as we do, that you are loved by God. That there is more to life than our material, our physical well-being. Isn't it great to feel that, that deep sense of joy in your life? That however tough things are, we know what it is to be loved by God. That he won't um, stop loving us. That nothing can separate us from that love. Even death cannot separate us. Their joy was given by the Holy Spirit. It was a gift of the Holy Spirit. And so it can be interrupted by sin. We can lose our joy as Christians particularly when we allow our our daily circumstances to to weigh us down, when we maybe lose sight of our salvation that we have in Christ, maybe when we stop meeting with other Christians, but also when we stop making it an act of the will to rejoice. Because at the end of this letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 5, if you turn over the page in verse 16, Paul says, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. 
And those commands, they are all linked, aren't they? If you stop praying, if you stop giving thanks, you'll start to lose the joy. Rejoice always. How else was the message welcomed? If you go back to the beginning of that sentence, verse 6, it says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. So welcoming the gospel message doesn't just involve accepting the words to be true, but it means embracing a whole new lifestyle. The Thessalonians listened to what Paul had to say, and they also observed his behaviour, and they were attracted to it. Now, there would have been uh, uh, other speakers who... um, probably would have spoken in a very different way, but Paul spoke with none of that pride or arrogance. He spoke with probably humility, with gentleness, with grace. And in welcoming the message, the Thessalonians started to live changed lives. Paul and his companions were the only believers at this stage they they knew, and so they followed their example, which meant, as we're told, in turn they were following the example of the Lord. And I wonder if you've ever thought, what would people think of of you as they observe your behaviour? Would it be something worth imitating? Would there be something attractive in that? Is our our public behaviour consistent with our private behaviour? He became imitators of us. Well, as the Thessalonian Christians followed the example of Paul and his companions, they inevitably became a model to other believers as well. And it wasn't just that as individuals that um, they were models, but as a community, they were models to others. And I guess that also makes us think, doesn't it? We have a huge responsibility to model Christ to those around us as a community. We can invite people to evangelistic events um, but what's going to people make people respond to those invitations aren't they going to look at us and think actually there is something about that person that community that I would like to be a part of and hopefully as we engage more with the community and in community action we'll be able to show more of the love of Christ in different ways the message came the Thessalonians welcomed the message and finally the message rang out from them. This word for, for rang out, it conveys the idea of a, a sound travelling a long distance. It was used of bells and trumpets and other loud noises. Probably something like the noise that woke us up in Ethiopia at half past four every morning. Um, the Orthodox Church, uh, not just calling people to worship, but actually broadcasting uh, three hours of uh, worship to the surrounding neighbourhood uh, with loudspeakers. But whereas that didn't endear themselves particularly to to many people, this ringing out is a positive ringing out. It's the proclamation of the gospel reverberating around the whole countryside. How did it ring out? Well, it's interesting that the way it rang out is that their faith, we're told here, became known. Have a look in verse 8. The gospel came, it was proclaimed, But what became known more widely was that some of the Thessalonians had put their faith in the gospel message, in what they had heard. And it was the effect of the gospel that became known, that lives had been changed by this message, by by Jesus Christ. It became, we're told, not just in Macedonia 
and Achaia became known everywhere. I'm sure there's a bit of a hyperbole in that, but clearly it's become known beyond Greece, maybe in Ephesus, maybe Rome, um, maybe Jerusalem. And it does show us, isn't it, the power of testimony. If you talk about how God has changed your life, if people see how God has changed your life, it has a powerful effect on others. And word spreads because people like to gossip, don't they? Uh, most gossip is uh, negative and, uh, and you know, when we start to hear that we should pour cold water on it straight away. But, but this is positive gossip. This is gossiping the gospel. And the great news is that the missionaries didn't need to do or say anything, we're told. Word just got out. Verse 8 says, look, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. The good news was spreading naturally. But what exactly was the change that people um, were reporting in the lives of the Thessalonian believers? Well, there were three things we're, we're told here. They made a break with the past, we're told. They turned to God from idols, in verse 9. They had a new purpose, to serve the living and true God. And an ultimate goal, to wait for his son from heaven. Let's just have a brief look at those before we finish. You turn to God from idols. To turn marks a, a radical change. Some of you remember those uh, words of uh, Margaret Thatcher in the, uh, the 1980s about Europe. The lady is not for turning. She'd made her decision about what was right and uh, wasn't going to be moved from that. Now that's fine if you are convinced what you are doing is, is right and you're not going to be um, uh, driven by, by pride. But if we are heading down the, the wrong road, then it is important to turn. That is what repentance is about, isn't it? A turning. And the Thessalonians' turning here was dramatic because of the huge contrast from what they turned from to what they turned to. We're told here they turned from the worship of idols things that were dead, things that were false, to God, who was living and true. Idols were probably the Greek gods of whom there were, there were many, gods that had been created by, by humans, visible images that had been made by, by human hands, very different from the invisible creator of the universe. And yet these idols would have had a strong influence on them. There would have been a fear to, to, to do something that would displease them. Something had been built up in them over many years. Now there might not be many religious idols worshipped, certainly in our country today. But there are many sophisticated idols, aren't there, that, um, that people worship. Things that have power over them. There are things that people become physically addicted to, uh, seeking pleasure. Things like alcohol and drugs, drugs and uh, sex. But there are the other things that people are also addicted to, things that may actually be good in themselves, but uh, become uh, idols if, if we're not careful. Things like work and leisure and homes. But however the, the strong the power of, of these idols is, these addictions are, the gospel is stronger. It has the power to, to break people free 
from those things or those people that control our lives. It can be dramatic, it can be a gradual loosening of the influence of sin in the life of the new believer. But here the Thessalonians turned from idols to the living and true God. And when that turning or conversion happens, then the focus of the believer's life is replaced with a new focus. It's not simply that they turn away from the old life, but it's the beginning of a new life of service. Rabindranath Tagore, the Bengali writer, artist and musician, once said this. He said, I have on my table a violin string. It's free to move in any direction I like. If I twist one end, it responds. It's free. But it's not free to sing. So I take it and fix it into my violin. I bind it. And when it is bound, it is free for the first time to sing. When we are bound to Jesus, we are free to be the people we were meant to be. We are free to serve, knowing that our our new master, our new Lord, loves us. He gives us everything we need. And we want to please him, not out of a sense of duty, but out of a sense of love. We were looking at that last weekend in the the church weekend away. And it's great to hear people thinking, how can I serve the Lord in my life? But finally, there's an ultimate goal here. And this is another key theme in this letter. And that is to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. When Jesus comes again, justice will be done. So on the one hand, it will bring relief to the Thessalonians from their persecution. But I'm not sure that's what it's getting at here, because they too know that they deserve God's judgment but they also know they will be rescued from it because of their faith in Jesus Christ. So to wait for him is to be ready for him. To know that he could come at any time and therefore to get on with using the time that we have and using it wisely. Have a look back at verse 3. It says, We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. The Thessalonian believers are clearly ready for the Lord's return. They're ready because their faith, their hope and love have shown themselves in work, labour and endurance. And the question that we need to all ask ourselves is the title of this sermon series, uh, Are You Ready? Are You Ready for the Lord's Return? If we are ready, then we'll be trusting in the power of the gospel to change lives. We will be longing, we'll be praying for people to be converted before Jesus comes again, before it is too late. And we'll be living lives that demonstrate our belief. In the verse for the year, we had it this morning, but it was good to end with it now. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Let's have a moment of quiet just to reflect on that, on the power of the gospel.
and whether we truly believe in it, whether we are ready for Jesus' return, and if so, how we can proclaim that gospel message. A moment of quiet. Father God, we thank you for the power of the, the gospel. Thank you that we have experienced uh, that power ourselves in the way our lives have been changed. Thank you for what we've read here this evening, of the way it transformed dramatically the lives of the, the Thessalonians as they turn from idols to the living and true God. And Lord, we want to know that, that power in a deeper way. We want to have a greater confidence in that power, that we will be expecting people's lives to be changed as we proclaim the gospel and as we live it out. So Lord, fill us with that confidence and help us to believe in its power as we wait for the Lord's return. In his name we pray. Amen.